devs, Break the Code, and Iron Fury. This is Staying In. I'm on, I bought, uh, I bought, I bought some more beers. Um, oh and my god, can the, we, the, can we stop, please? Can we, no, 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 I'm shutting this, this com- no, no, right. 30 minutes of last episode's edit was beer oh, that I had to cut out. Brilliant. It's fine, it's fine, it doesn't need to be in there. Dan, shh, yes. Dan, Dan. Right, can you, have, have you got a stop, some sort of stopwatch ability on your phone? I, I do, I do. Hang on. Okay, all right, okay. How long should we give Pete? A minute? Two, 30 seconds? About the same length of time as your average sip. Uh, well, it, it, Chris, Chris, it depends whether he's like swilling around his mouth and really like savoring, sniffing it. and stuff. I, I reckon, I, I reckon give Pete a minute to talk yeah. about the beer that he's currently drinking. I'm actually sort of hoping you'll just cut this bit out, but, but that's fine. I, I just want to say, I, I just want to say, Sam. No, 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 no. Shush, shush. You've got a minute. Right. Dan's got a the timers. Tell him when. He, tell him when to start, Dan. Three, two, one, go. And you're listening to the Willington Beer Minute. Uh, I have been uh, provided, and by provided I mean I purchased with my own money, uh, a set of six more beers, M-O-O-R. I'm currently drinking the Double Stout at the moment. It's an 8%, so it's a bit of a big boy, um, but it is very, very tasty. Chocolate, coffee, aroma notes. Very, very viscous, very oily, uh, very, really quite tasty, and, and it really hides the alcohol away really quite neatly as well with just with uh with just 30 seconds left i I just want to say that uh this is the smallest of the small uh of the small batch of beers that i went with uh the rest are upwards of nine or ten percent which really does sometimes show you the quality of the thing that you're going to be drinking but uh but i've got to say it's a big recommendation from me uh for my (laughs) week and uh if you are going to have it then i would pair it with perhaps a nice bag of crisps or a burger (laughs) or some cheese (laughs) <laughs> and that's it. That's it. Time up. Time up. Time up. Time up. I, I love the. I love the fact, and I don't want Pete to come back on this because he's had his minute. I love the fact that his pairing notes were a packet of crisps. Yeah, didn't specify the flavour, <laughs> just the item. I honestly didn't know there, Pete, if you were describing beer or petrol. <laughs> <laughs> Viscous and oily. Mm. <laughs> it's like it's like when um when Greg Wallace on MasterChef, which is finished now, sadly. Um, had a habit of describing aubergines as slippery, and <laughs> like that was a good thing. And whenever, whenever, ooh, those aubergines are slippery. I'm just like, is that a good thing? Like, is that a good? I've never had like, if I want an aubergine, I kind of don't want it to be slippery. You're not, you're not sort of wandering down the the supermarket aisle looking for the ones sort of going like at twenty miles an hour down the floor <laughs> surface, are you? That's already got a bit of slip on it. I'm just checking out your haircut then, Sam. You've had your haircut again. It looks really good. I have. I you've have you've had managed my to you've managed to fine tune and perfect the lockdown haircut. Well, we good. kind of because because we because we went back to basics with the first cut. Yeah. Of which I think there's pictures on our Instagram feed. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. Um. Uh. Because we went back to basics with the first cut, which is pretty much like the same length all over. You know, right back to the wick. Um, we've really started just like building up now stages, like keeping the top bit 
growing out a bit and then like just shaving the back and sides. I mean, it wasn't without it wasn't without its um, mishaps. Uh, there was there there is a bit of a bold spot yep. here on my left hand side where my wife forgot that she didn't have the clip the right clipper attachment on, so just like uh, just shoved it, it in and went forward. But you live and learn, don't you? And we did it outside this time, which yep. was a nice change. Um, so the ne- so the neighbours got the benefit of the clipping. Yeah, exactly. Everyone everyone was there. Everyone was there seeing it, and um, and some of my hair is still outside. So sometimes I would just like go outside to let the dog out. And I think, oh, there's a crow. And uh, no, it's just... Poppy like... comes back in with a full beard. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're confusing pieces of your hair with a crow. Well, yeah, just like out <laughs> the corner of your eye, like peripheral vision, just something fluffy and like wiry and black in the corner. It's like... Jesus, yeah. it's a cr- yeah. no. It's just my hair. My my, my question for you, uh, Chris and Dan. I, I mean, I've not I've not had a, a a lockdown haircut. Have either of you? No. My partner keeps asking me if I want one, yeah, and, I, and I I say no. My hair is only for Tony's hands, not for yours. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went. To, I, there was one time where I didn't get my hair cut by Tony, and I went back, and it was clearly obvious that someone else had cut my hair, and there was that awkward tension there, and I, I don't want to revisit that. So as a mark of respect to Tony, I'm not. However, my parents' neighbour, um, his wife cut his hair um, with a pair of clippers, like what um, Lisa did for Sam, except mm-hmm. the only clippers they had were for the dogs. <laughs> and, yeah, well, they're clippers, aren't they? And she asked him, yeah. what, what, what length of hair do you usually have? And he said, well... Westy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Pekingese. <laughs> Uh, I usually he said he said that I usually have a two, and she was like, "Okay, a two. So she looks on the little dial, rotates it, gets it to two. Job done. Starts cutting his hair. Oh, this is quite short. This is quite sheer. And gets about halfway through, and they think this isn't right. Basically, I'm scalping him. This can't be right. It's on two. God damn it! They found out afterwards on dog clippers, which I didn't know. The number doesn't relate to the length, but the speed. <laughs> so was that like uh, super quick? Yeah, basically. Super slow? <laughs> it was just. It was... Oh my god! Well, uh, well, well, at least now we know. Now we know. Now we know. I'm. I'm. I mean, I was well over, well, well overdue a haircut before lockdown. So it's extremely long at the moment. But I'm just embracing it. I've got no. I mean, the thing is about if you ever. Here we go. Here's a little nugget for anyone listening. Here we go. Let's all sit down and hear Dan's advice. Uh, if you ever, if ever, if ever a guy wants to try and grow his hair, the problem is there's that middle ground between short and long where it just looks yeah. awful. Okay. So yeah, what right. lockdown has enabled me to do is go through that awful period in the comfort of my own home when no one can see me other than my wife, and obviously she doesn't like it, but I can't cut my hair, so that's fine. Um, so the option is either shave my head. Or just let it grow. So I'm just letting it grow. Just letting it grow. And, and what is it now, Dan? Is it awful or is it or is this now good? It, it, it depends on if I style it. Uh, most of the time, I'm kind of just like, I've got like a very loose hairband type thing just to keep it off my face. Yeah. Uh, I've not reached the point of yeah. ponytails. I don't think that's ever going to happen. So that's a good, and that's a good thing. Um, that's not a style I'm going for. Please don't. Uh, I'd like to see that on you, Dan. I'd like that. No. Be a good look. Yeah, little little sort of like Jedi tuft at the back. Well, like a padder one. Yeah, like a little padder one. 
we've been trying to like do um like renovate our garden a little bit we've got some decking made uh we've got some lovely furniture for my dad for yeah. for when we got married and so we've been outside um got this little bistro set mm-hmm. and um we've been like having like teas and breakfasts out there when we can when the weather's nice you play any board games out there? Do you enjoy like board games outside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we play. We try to find um, the games to play uh, outside. Like roll and rights are pretty good. Mm. Uh, we we managed to squeeze a game of Quirkle on there, which was which I'll talk about on another show at some point because Quirkle's amazing. But Quirkle is like this tile laying game. And it became like a situation where there was just parts of the game I could no longer lay tiles in because they were literally going to be on the floor. It was almost like this variant of the puzzle, which was like you've only got a limited space to lay. It's like <laughs> it's like having a it's like having a Scrabble board, but with like essentially the board shrinking as you're playing, so you can no longer like make certain words. Do you, sorry, do you know? Do you know you can buy Carcassonne boards? like different countries yes yes so I you have play, seen. yeah you play your normal game of carcassonne but it's it's not as like infinite as you would usually have on a table which can form all wire and um, all manner of weird shapes you can actually have a carcassonne board that fits a template so it could be like germany for example you could position yes carcassonne. i have seen those also hmm. uh, another point uh, to raise about carcassonne if they've just released officials official solo rules for carcassonne which you can download and print for free that's a good hmm. shout out yeah, I like I like all that stuff. I like the fact that there's been a bunch of like solo variants and stuff. Yeah, there's they've released a solo variant for Azul as well. That's um, cool. Which I know people enjoy. Um the one game which we haven't had much fun playing outside is one called Break the Code from Yellow. Okay. Um mainly because uh when we when we played it, um I'm not going to say who it was, but it wasn't me. Uh, dropped one of the very important tokens onto the decking and the token fell into the decking and we basically it broke the game um ah. so and it kind of there is a small part of me which is obsessive and compulsive and in that moment like all those parts of my personality just suddenly started bubbling from in me. First of all, knowing that a game in my collection was in some way incomplete. Yeah. And not all the parts were actually there in the box. Oh, yeah. Um, and also knowing that there was something, basically knowing that there was a problem that I needed to solve and couldn't solve it because the decking doesn't lift up. You can't get underneath it. So the only way of actually getting to the token was to like shine torches down and... The only thing I had thin enough to get into the gap was one of those metal rulers you used in DT in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, So, yeah, so I spent most of that afternoon then trying to find and locate this little black six token um, for Break the Code that I lost outside. And I I couldn't let it rest. My wife was just like, no, let's just... You know, let's just go inside and play. Like we can play without it, and I was like, "No, we can't. We can't play yeah. the game with the missing piece." Yeah, that that that's that is a strong compulsion. Mm. I always find like like I find it really difficult to buy secondhand board games because I'm always like, "If there's a missing piece, this is going to wind me up." Yeah, 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 yeah. 
It's a massive. Um, I managed to find it. I managed to find it. So I spotted it in there. It was about 10 o'clock at night once it's all gone dark so I could actually get a torch in there. I was in the garden. Yeah. And I basically like had to flick it to get it past one of the battens going across the decking and then I lost it and it's rained since so it's gone. But, but, heavens, heavens be to the wonderful board game company that is Yellow who uh, <laughs> responded to my cries for the single token that i was missing from break the code and they were very kind enough to send me a to send me a replacement yeah it it was great it's only the second time i've only ever had to ask for a replacement part is that is was that the is that the picture on the instagram of the that is a picture on our instagram feed so as long as as well as me having my hair cut you can also see the wonderful (laughs) black six you can see the um the ceremony i held for the original black six that i lost it's quite touching. Yeah, you, you, when you did that, Sam, I, I was beginning to get a little worried for you. I have to say, <laughs> because I just yeah, I felt to, like I felt yeah. like you'd really kind of fallen into kind of lockdown cabin fever, where you just <laughs> you'd resorted to a literal funeral for a puzzle piece that you had lost. Yeah, I honestly thought that Pete and I, being the oldest, would be the ones to have the midlife crisis first. I had mine when I was 23. It was fine. Yeah, I think I've had about three already. <laughs> but I guess I guess, I guess, guess now is a good time as any to speak about Break the Code and why it deserved the hassle um, to actually go and get another piece from Yellow because it's, um, it's a really good game. And you know what, guys? It's not even a roll and write. It's not even oh, a what? It's just What? <laughs> there are other games, the roll and write games. I know. There is some writing, though, Dan, if you need it. It's a very, very simple game. It's based on, I think it's like a Western re-implementation of a, a game called um, Tagiron, which is a, a Japanese game. And that's a lot more abstract than Break the Code is. But Break the Code has this very, like, stripped-back, like, code breakery theme. Like, it is, like, all these, like, mechanical cogs on the board and... I think it wants to recreate this kind of feeling of like being in like somewhere like Bletchley Park where you're in this very like condensed focused atmosphere where like you've got one job and it's to break the other person's code and you've got to do it before this other person and like I, I get that vibe very much from it. It's a very simple game to explain. Uh, you each have a screen in which you'll be hiding um, five of the aforementioned tiles uh, each tile has a number on it between zero to nine, and each tile will be one of three colours, uh, green, white, or black. Um, and each tile then sits behind a letter, A, B, C, D, and E. And then in between each player, so this is for a two-player game, in between each player, you then have a communal set of question cards so you take it in turns to ask each other questions by taking one of the cards from the middle of middle of the pile. And, and these will be like, where are your zero tiles? Or what is the sum of your black tiles? Um, where is your number seven tiles? And like, are any of your neighboring tiles the same number? And the idea is there's a, using these set questions, you should slowly be able to deduce the numbers and colours and the order that they come in of the other person's code. And oh, I absolutely love it. I this this type of game is exactly my thing. Like this idea of sitting down and 
basically a race trying to deduce something before the other person is able to get what your code is and the fact that you have like this set amount of questions in the middle is a wonderful like addition to the puzzle because you can only ask what the questions are in the middle of the middle of the table so you've really got to think of what question is going to give you the most feedback on where you want to be and, and where you think you are in the deduction process and i absolutely like really love that kind of puzzle like we've played chris and i we played like watson homes before which is like a, a game that's very similar to sherlock holmes consulting detective where you go and visit all these locations and you're basically trying to solve a mystery before everyone else and you go and you go running to sherlock holmes going i've done it i've done it i've done it and he tells you whether you're great or not and i absolutely love that feeling that that rush when before the other player is able to do it to go i'm going to guess your code now and they go really what and then that rush of like knowing whether it's right or wrong um yeah it's great and also we managed chris to play to play it with you as well we did like a really weird multiple angle um zoom call where we managed to play break the code yeah it was like when ang lee directed the hulk <laughs> oh my god it was just as bad to be fair some of those angles i got especially when i was using the back of a picture frame yeah. as the backboard for putting the questions on so all the questions were like tilted up they weren't like flat on the table um, and how you managed to get that camera under the decking i still don't know <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it's it reminds me and i said this to sam as soon as we played it it reminds me of the game mastermind um, yes. um where you basically it's your opponent has a configuration of colored pegs hidden behind their little screen and you have got the matching colors your side and you slot them into holes and then they show you by you know um i kind of i can't remember how they show you but they basically tell you how many you've got right and how many you've yes. got wrong and you have to try and work out which ones you think must have been right and which ones you're going to must be wrong really it's like a it's like a version of that really but um, and and there are kind of smatterings also of Decrypto, which is a game I like, uh, where it 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 has it's more focused on the words, I suppose, and the the kind of the layerings of language and the meanings behind that. I mean, it is rich, literally just numbers. Um, it is, yeah, it, it, it is there's numbers. there's no creativity per se. It is literally just the calculating and the programming of numbers and the the permutations. It's a game that you could play. As a digital version, you could easily play this in a kind of um, with against a really good computer AI in this regard, and there is an elegance to it in that regard in terms of how Sam says those questions work, and the joy really lies in those questions coming up, and the pleasure I got from it was when I went, I was waiting to ask a question, but then Sam would ask, it, and as soon as that question's asked, it's taken out and a new one comes in. And that I think if it didn't have that, it would be a really boring game because yeah. you're basically, it's just computer versus computer. Because for me, I couldn't see the pull. And to some extent, I can't wholly, but at least having that bit of variety there gives it replayability. What's the, I always like to think that board games make you feel certain things in a certain way, right? We've talked about Sherlock and like having that feeling of like, you know, being told, 
by Sherlock how bad you are. But the the really exciting bit about Sherlock for me is the the thing that it makes me feel is it makes me feel while I'm playing it like I'm smart, like I feel like I'm actually de de deducing things. What does what does this what does this do? Like, what's the what what do you what what's the sort of like emotion that you're feeling most when you when you play it? Honestly, work. Like, <laughs> okay. I had a massive long day at work, and yeah. I thought, okay, I, I will divert now my programming to another side of my brain. But all yeah. Sam did was direct me back to the parts of my brain I've been yeah. using the entire day. So, right, okay. it, like, and and for some that's a pleasure. You know, that really is a pleasure, and I can see yeah. the pleasure of this game. But it's just. I think it, I suppose it's the numbers aspect of it, really. If it was a combination of numbers mm. and words, something like code names, for example, that's my hook. I can see an application mm. for this, but it's just numbers. And then, oh, I've got this pattern of numbers. Let's move on. Like yeah. I, I, I can't. It, I don't feel like I am a code breaker. I feel like I'm just guessing his order of numbers. I'm not breaking a code. I'm just guessing his order of numbers. Right. If you see what I mean. What about you, Sam? Well, whereas me, like I thrill in that, like puzzle and both chris and i thought that dan this might be like a puzzle game that that you would enjoy as someone who works a lot with numbers and like definitely works with spreadsheets and things like that which are kind of might be sort of burying the lead a bit of like how good i think this game is in terms of like a puzzle game because for me it's that thrill of asking a question getting a response and then immediately having to figure out the permutations of that response in the same way that you'd work out the permutations of, you know, a foot, if a football team this week gets, wins this match and, th and this team loses that match, that's going to have this kind of result or like, or then if they draw, that's going to have this kind of result and have a knock on effect here. You're doing exactly the same thing in this game is going, well, if Chris is saying that is there, or that number is under letter C, then that means A and B can only be these kind of things. And that means that then the rest of the letters can only be that kind of thing. As someone who's never really enjoyed maths per se, like I love this kind of manipulation of numbers. Like it sounds like maths is logic. Yeah, yeah, maths is maths is logic. And just like getting information from Chris, feeding that into this machine, which is mm. all into my head, and seeing what the answers are. It's almost like physical, tactile computerization, really, is what it is kind of what the game feels like, what it's tapping into. Mm. You know you know that scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where that guy's like putting all those numbers into is it Tim Brooke Taylor or someone like that? Is putting all the numbers into the computer. It's just like I'm now telling the machine <laughs> about where to find all the golden tickets, and then the machine like spits out a bit of paper. And just I mean, like, so, so I mean that that sums it up for me. No, his favourite scene wasn't the Chocolate River. That's my favourite scene of the film. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just like data analysis, data input, and analysis. <laughs> no, but I think. It's really, I, I, do you know what? That's what I love about this podcast is that Sam and I play a game and there'll be times when I bounce off it, but it's it's actually when you talk it out, you're talking about this in the same way that I talk about social deduction games. And I yes. think it is actually, the, it is that, it's not, I think, it's not that I bounce off deduction per se. It's just for me, I like it aimed within a social circumstance where it's about reading emotions, body language, bluffing. It's about the narrative of solving a mystery in a kind of narratological sense. Like here, I I bounce off it because it is just 
numbers and logic and i cannot visualize that i cannot see the reason yeah. for why this makes sense if i'm if i'm trying to solve a word for example or you know i can see that as being tied to something narratological but just mm. a number to solve um a, a, another coordination of numbers let's say i just can't find that hook um it doesn't it doesn't um push the same buttons as it does for you even mm. though ostensibly mm. we're talking about deduction the pleasures of deduction here yeah Exactly. I mean, it, it certainly sounds like the, the type of game I was enjoy. You, you obviously you invited me to to join the day. I wasn't able to. I was kind of in the middle of stripping my entire kitchen of wallpaper, and it could not be stopped. Do, do, um, do. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to join. Dan, did you have? Did you get to use? Um, did you get to use like one of those really hot guns that says on the side "Do not use as a hairdryer"? <laughs> no, I don't think it says that on the side, does it? I don't know. I use a steamer. I don't know what you're talking about. Because if it did, it presumably it would say the reverse Pete, as well. Pete, you, know, you know that heat guns are for stripping paint, not for stripping wallpaper. Yeah. Oh, that's why I set fire to my living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I use a steamer. So I was about to say, you've got, you haven't got wallpaper on your walls, Pete. <laughs> ah, that was, that was point two upon which I fell down. <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, this sounds, this does sound, um, when you say it kind of, by the sounds of it, it's a similar kind of enjoyment that someone can get from um, like Cluedo, where you're listening, you're hearing certain things, you're like, okay, uh, Professor Plum yeah. was in there, or oh, yeah, Scarlet yeah, yeah. was in there, and you can, and on yeah, your bit of paper, you're saying, well, it can't be them, it can't be them, and it's that kind of deduction thing, or like playing Sudoku, yes. and you're like, okay, that number can't be there, but it, this has yeah. to now be the number four can put that in which then means this and this and this and there is that i do get that sense of achievement and understanding and it's that i'm probably probably the end of that spectrum with you sam of looking at that more logical puzzles because i can see there is a right answer and i can figure it out Mm -hmm. and it is going to be there and once i've figured it out i'll know oh yeah that's once i know the answer that's yeah absolutely exactly yeah chris what you're talking about that more social when you're talking about more emotional stuff for me, there's more. Um, while I whilst I enjoy them, there's more flexibility in that, and I can probably be like, ah, oh, that's not I. Ah, oh, that's not fair. With a number one, I'm like, you know what? It is what it is. It was number four. Yeah, that's, yeah. I can't. I can't. It was nothing else. Oh gosh, do you know what? You, damn you, Sam! You make me want to play it again, even though I said I would <laughs> never do that. And and do you know what? We're making and it's my fault. I'm making it sound quite dry. It looks really good, you know. Even though I saw it yeah. through a tiny webcam. Um, I think it was your mobile phone, in fact, Sam, actually, I saw it through. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, it looks really good. And it's one of those ones you look at it and go, ooh, I can pick up and play this yeah. very easily. And you can kind of step in. And, and and it may sound fiddly, but if Sam and I can play this via my dodgy internet online and webcam, then it's easy for anyone to play this themselves in a space. Yeah. The, the, the one criticism I would have about how it actually looks and the components is that you're given these these tiny sheets to kind of write your sort of workings out on and the sheets are, are kind of the perfect size for a two-player game um but in a three and four player game everyone has tiles behind their screens but there's tiles in the middle and and the race is who can figure out what the tiles in the middle are before everyone else and i just can't imagine there being enough space on that pe- on this tiny little piece of paper that you get for that kind of like mental arithmetic of working out not only what two other people's or three other people's codes are and then try and figure out what like the middle is the middle piece is because like that's going to be some sort of hefty notebook for me to, for me to work out um 
I don't. I think you'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if you if you are literally on the verge of tunneling underneath your decking to reclaim a number, <laughs> let's not forget. Let's not mince words here. You don't need a replacement at all. They no, should. I, yellow I, should not have sent that to you. They've just become a <laughs> <your> neighbour. <laughs> there was no. You oh, did not that. need that at all. The way you were going on about it was like that. If you didn't have it and it was that particular colour, it would. The whole game would collapse. No, it wouldn't. You could have just taken a little piece of paper and just drawn the number on yourself. <laughs> I keep looking at this uh, big list of stuff and I feel like I'm missing out. Missing out on what? From not seeing a show called Devs. Because All right. Because oh, like yeah. I keep seeing it as it not I don't know anything about it. Literally don't know anything about it, but I kind of feel like like if it's cuz I quite like the one the TV show where the guy <laughs> from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was Martin Freeman was working at Sinclair. He's working for um, Sir Clive Sinclair as part of like, and like they were putting together the Spectrum at the time, and it's all about Spectrum versus Commodore. I I have no idea. I have no, I've never even heard of this show. Before. It was a, it was a TV show. Hold on a second. It was a TV. It's show. super niche. No, it's not. Is it no, it was like it was really. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it was about. I think it was like a. It might have been a BBC production. Oh, it was called. Is it called Starter? No, it was called Micro Men. Yeah, it was this. It was this. It was this uh, TV show that was about Clive Sinclair, who was putting together the Sinclair C5 at this. Uh, well, the Sinclair uh, Spectrum, and he was also putting the C5 together at the time. His really failed like personal transport um, vehicle. I got I got sent it recently, and I I actually I ended up quite liking it to the point of I actually quite like the idea of like watching dramatized development stuff like 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 uh you know like games development and like software development and stuff like that. I find that quite mm. there's quite a lot of drama in that, and I kind of feel like maybe this devs thing is maybe this will be like up my street as well. Part part of me doesn't want to talk any more about devs, just so Pete goes in. Just, no, just I, I actually I actually prefer your version. Yeah, just of so Pete. Pete goes into it thinking that it's like some sort of fly on the wall documentary about some guys or girls putting together <laughs> putting together a video game. Is it or not some that? Software. Is it not that? <laughs> it's really not oh, that. No. Oh, I think to be fair, I think it's actually. I I went into it knowing absolutely nothing. I actually I found out about it. Like the day before it, it kind of it premiered, we premiered on um, BBC. Uh, so I saw it on iPlayer, um, but literally I'd not heard anything about it. It's uh, written and created by uh, Alex Garland, um, stars uh, Nick Offerman of uh, Parks and Rec fame and other mm. excellent projects. Um, I I'm a huge fan of Nick Offerman, and I actually just I was I was reading. Uh, an interview he did in the garden. It was talking about this show, and I'd never heard of it at all. And he was talking about this whole. It was a completely different type of role for him, and how much he'd enjoyed doing it. So I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll have to look at that." And it was literally like the next day it was available for me to watch. Um, and obviously, I'm a huge fan of Alex Garland. Um, a lot of like films he's doing in the past, like Ex Machina, obviously games and stuff. Um, Enslaved Odyssey to the West. He did lots of lots of different things. He's always doing interesting. Uh, work um and so yeah so i'll jump jump on this and i'm i think part of the reason i enjoyed i did really enjoy i really really enjoyed it and i thought it was 
it, it tapped into ideas that were interesting and asked questions that are interesting. But I think part of the reason I enjoyed it so much is the fact that I came into it. And my, my wife was the same. She'd never heard of it. Um, we watched it together and she absolutely loved it as well. Um, but we both went in, like, all I knew was the name was Debs. That's literally all I knew. And it starred Nick Offerman and it was written by Alex Garland. So what is it What what is it about? Well, that's the kind of thing. I, I, I mean, Chris and Sam, how, how much would you want Pete to know going in? Because I knew nothing and I liked the fact that I knew nothing going in. I'd give him basically the blurb of the first episode, which is um, one character goes to work. Uh, well, basically, <laughs> that's it. Basically, there's this a, there's this couple there's a couple, and one of them goes to um, work for this mysterious um, part of this big um, sort of Google esque company and goes to work in the devs department. Okay. And then goes missing. Okay. Shall I, shall I read you the, the, the overarching blurb for the first episode? Yeah, that's probably better than my... No, I, no I, actually, I actually like yours, Sam. <laughs> so this is the, like, the two-sentence blurb. It says, uh, Atmospheric mystery drama series. Sergei is recruited to the enigmatic development section of quantum computing firm Amaya, but fails to come home. Alarming girlfriend Lily. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and also, it's a hard sci-fi series. Okay. As is as is with all of Alex Garland's stuff. Yeah. Right, right, right. You also only need to watch four of the episodes, really. Really? Why? Because... Uh, Have you not watched all of I've it? I've watched all of it, yeah. But I came oh, out okay. of it, and you only need to see four episodes. Which four? One, four, five, and six. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> that feels... <laughs> Um, I mean, that feels. Pete, Pete, did you watch Annihilation? We spoke about it on the previous podcast episode. Nah. No, no, it's super niche. <laughs> but it, it's got that same gorgeous aesthetic that you see yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And, and also Echoes of Sunshine, which Garland didn't direct, but he wrote. Yeah, the visuals and the soundscape are really, yeah. really impressive. Um, it's also, there is also too much of a good thing in it as well, I find, in places. It, it take, it's a little bit too self indulgent. It's a very difficult show, I think, to explain without going into details of what it is. And to, by going into details, right. you are taking away from the show. So I don't want to do that. Um, so to, to speak around that, we mentioned kind of the visuals and the, the soundscape. And I think that is, it's always, I always find it really enjoyable watching like uh, uh, one of the, some of these really high budget kind of um, television shows where you can you can see the per the creator behind it is an auteur and they have a very strong style and they've been able to play they've been able to put exactly what they want on the screen there's been no kind of you know what you're seeing is what Alex Garland wanted to see because he has a certain style there's a lot of kind of wide expansive shots or uh, very still there's a very there's a stillness to the entire show which I really really enjoyed um and a quietness about it but then also the 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 sound i think i i've not really experienced it that often but it kind of it kind of ah oh, what's it's almost I, discordant the sound he, he almost it's almost discordant he makes some really interesting choices of sound in the same way that with Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, you have the sound of an organ playing. And it just seems he wanted to deliberately deviate from that science fiction sound that you usually hear. So he used like an organ. Garland does that here in a kind of hard sci-fi. 
it, it takes almost like almost like a mystical shamanistic um, style at times the music, which uh, and and you get that a little bit in the iconography. Um, there's like mandalas and things in places on walls that are kind of digitized and technical, and there is a, there is something temple-like, dare I say it, about some of the architecture in the Devs Institute, really. But I will say this, Pete, it, it, it is a bit of a waste at times just because there are two narratives going on. There is the narrative of Lily, whose boyfriend has gone to work for this company, and then there is the narrative of the devs. And for me, I was more interested in the narrative of devs. And every time it cut away from them, who were engaged in these really interesting debates, because this is such an interesting concept, that for me interests me. The conflict between within them is what interests me. As soon as it cuts away to kind of Lily and what's going on with her, me and my partner are just like, oh, really? I, yeah, but it would have been it would have been a lot of ass to basically have like an eight-hour TV series of people just sitting down having very, very but, complicated scientifical and philosophical discussions. Exactly. You you need that secondary. You, you need that secondary storyline. No, no, but she isn't. She isn't because the audience's entryway. No, but she isn't down because as soon as you know more than her, she becomes. She, you don't care if you were discovering it with her. <laughs> No, it's true. If you were discovering with her... I did care. I did care about her storyline. I didn't care about her at all. She was awful. Like, honestly, like, as a person, the acting, it was awful. And as soon as, like, you know more than her, she's just redundant. Uh, honestly, she just is. You just don't care. And, and like, I, 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 I could not disagree more. I just... I, 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 didn't, I didn't find her acting terrible. What? It, it's kind of impossible to argue with you without like genuinely talking about things that happen in the final episode. Oh, the final episode is sublime. I, I have to say that if, if, if anything, there is a moment in the final episode where one of the characters recites a Philip Larkin poem or Bade, and it is one of the most humanizing, humble, and terrifying poems ever written and it captures the mood and general like philosophy of the whole series in about five minutes and it is the best bit of television i've seen this year if not like in a very 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 long time like it's up there with the first five minutes of episode one season one of the wire in terms of like the closest to shakespeare that we've that we've got on the tv screen um it's incredible and like the conversation they have around that poem afterwards is just um it, if anything pete i'll just recommend just read that poem and i genuinely think it might give you a bit of an ex- existential crisis like it does with me great that's that's definitely what i'm looking for in my free time <laughs> just read borderline <laughs> honestly but no, genuinely, right, and it sounds like I'm being a bit of a Debbie Downer here, like I've overdosed on the arsehole tablets. But like, <laughs> genuinely. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, funnily, funnily enough, you don't want to take those orally. No. <laughs> um, but like, I, I, yes, it is, it is extremely boring at times and cliched. And like, it really does push it, test your patience. No, it's that. It really does. Oh, it does. Stra- he, he spends too long. I can't. I can't shot. just let you say those things without. No, 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 no Dan, I, Dan. I just don't think it is. No, I, it is. Like for me personally, and, <laughs> and no, no, it just is. <laughs> no, I've never ever, Chris, heard you 
so kind of vitriolic about anything. Oh, no, no. Because honestly, like, after the last episode, I was really grumpy that, like, people were, like, besmirching Dark. And it's not perfect. But I thought, <laughs> okay, I'm going to see Devs. It's going to blow my socks off. And no, my, my socks went up my legs. <laughs> <laughs> see, see this, this is why I watched The Simpsons. I don't know if you remember. Um, I've been on a bit of a like. I've been on a bit of a like. Um, this is about beer again. Dan, get out your stopwatch. <laughs> Dan, get out your stopwatch. No, he's had his minute. We've had the Wellington minute. I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. You don't need any more than that. Or the Minnington, as I like to call it. Well, let's let's workshop that. <laughs> the, uh, Pete, the Peter Minnington. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sixty seconds is all you need. So. <laughs> Uh, I um I've been thinking a lot about um I've been playing a lot of like old shooters basically I it's really it's really what have we turned into I know this is completely devoid oh. of emotion and passion for what anything. is this thing you call love human no too fair <laughs> Pete, Pete playing old shooters is very on brand I actually know that is yeah no I mean like no I mean and I mean like first person shooters things I don't really I haven't really got a lot of love for the ones I've been playing I, I played Doom 64 which was a bit of a treat uh, it's been re-released recently um, and uh, I've been playing a lot of uh, Duke Nukem 3D and because uh, there was a re- the, the Atomic Edition I think it was called or World Tour or something like that it was very uh, uh, you know decent update and all that sort of stuff and the reason I've been playing it is because um, there's been a lot of these uh, retro shooters made recently like a medieval and dusk and um, and yeah. and ion fury and um, that one's just had a uh, release onto the consoles and I've always been like interested in what the in what the appeal is like so like you know so uh, I, I don't know did you guys ever play like Wolfenstein 3d or rise of the triad or quake one or anything like that a long time ago i was i was too scared too scared were you really they were they always struck me maybe i always just like these are like back in the day i've not played any of the any kind of the more recent ones so i'm thinking about kind of the, the more original the early ones and i would always in my kind of uh youthful mind associate yeah. them with doom um yep. and so in my mind i was like nope not interested nope that's too scary for me too scary yeah, no, I, 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 I found them quite like, ooh. The, f- the first time I ever they ever played and liked a first-person shooter was the original Halo. That was the first time I enjoyed a okay. first-person shooter. Okay. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, I, as I say, like I grew up playing... So I played... My dad... My, one, of the, one of the few sort of like um, like gaming memories I have with like any of my family members um, was... Uh, actually, my dad showed me Wolfenstein 3D he wasn't really into games at all. He was just blown away by, like, the fact that you could move around in first person. Wow. Yeah. And, like, you know, that was cool. Like, I, I mean, you know, I, only, I know we've talked about this before a little bit, but, you know, I'm, I'm always really glad, like, I grew up with the games that I grew up with in, in the era I grew up with because I saw, we obviously all saw game, you know, we're, about the, we're all about the same age. Like, we all saw games going from, like, the NES to the Super Nintendo to the PlayStation to the six like you know to the Dreamcast like these huge leaps, and um and yeah I remember like you know seeing Wolfenstein 3D for the first time and thinking like wow this is incredible and these retro shooters are kind of more in the vein of Wolfenstein and Doom and um yeah like those sorts of games and this 
this there's been a spate of games dusk medieval and ion fury uh have been trying to like capture that again we got sent a code for ion fury it's ion fury the one that got caught up in all that legal mess because they wanted to call it ion maiden <laughs> i've got to be honest with right here's the thing i'm not a lawyer but the thing is I don't I don't think I don't think that there was Careful. any chance of of anybody looking at this first person shooter that's w- with pixelated graphics and go that's the British metal band <laughs> like it's such a weird such a Yeah but they might have thought of it it was made by cuz don't Iron Maiden have their own like beer brand Yeah they, there's yeah he's got well he's got some funny ideas but he's also got uh he's got he's got a beer label and stuff like that and Yeah we always keep coming back to beer wherever we yeah, can. Yeah, I know, I know. This is yeah. this is really my ear. Yeah, they uh, yeah they did do a beer. They did do a um, a video game actually, which is probably where most of this um, this, really? this nonsense this comes from. from yeah. yeah, there's an Iron Maiden video game. It's, what, what what genre is it? I can't even remember. It might have been a mobile game, to be honest with you. It's really interesting in that, like, I feel about it in the same way that I felt about Two Point Hospital and Theme Hospital, like okay. when we talked about it a few episodes yeah. ago, like like. In the same way that, like, if you're after Theme Hospital, you should totally go and get uh, Two Point Hospital. Like, yeah, if you're after Duke Nukem 3D, you should go and get Iron Fury. Because, like, it's that. Like, it's that again. And it's cool. Like, it's really neat. It's got, like, um, it's mm. got the voice of Duke uh, playing um, playing the, the, the main bad guy. Um, it's got a really... Um, uh, fun main character that you play as um, uh, this sort of female lead who's got some really good like one-liners. Um, it's got like some like absolutely astonishingly good level design uh, in that same Duke Nukem style. Where I don't know if you remember, but like those first few levels of Duke Nukem 3D, you always, you felt like you were there. Like it didn't feel like a maze, like Doom. It felt like a real space. Like it felt like downtown Los Angeles gone to hell like that like that was what was really good about those build engine games i feel like blood and uh, and um and uh, even like redneck rampage and stuff like that um but like but and it definitely does that and like the shooting feels the same and the save scumming feels the same like you should absolutely be like saving every couple of minutes if you're not very good at these games like me uh like because you'll just get absolutely taken out by enemies really really quickly um yeah, it feels like Duke, which is interesting. Like I kind of came away from it like, okay, like I I I liked those games, and now I I, I don't know. I kind of I kind of came away from it feeling like this is good because this is that, and like I I guess like your tolerance for it will be. Do you want another one of those games? Which is, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a it was a weird one. What are you playing it on, Pete? So I'm playing it on my Nintendo Switch, uh, which Ooh. is I know on my Nintendo Switch. Uh, so uh, it is like, um, and I know this stuff is really important for these people. Like, um, it seems to be like f- like frame rate locked at like 30 frames a second, which I think is going to be a bit of a uh, a thing for people. I think um, I, I, on the other on the other pl- uh, platforms it, it goes up to 60, so there's no problem there. And to be honest, I didn't really have that much of a problem with it on Switch. Like 30 frames is fine. The phrase I heard actually from another critic um, was um, was it's a game that consistently steps up to Duke Nukem and says, I can do that just as well as you can. But it never quite steps over that line to go, and now I can do it better. 
it, okay, it it's see, always yeah. like it's always making the assumption of you know I, i'm going to be as good as those games yeah but that, that's the thing like and and uh, again like um it sounds like you guys didn't have much of a a history with that stuff and, and like I, I played i played the first level of duke nukem a lot yeah but it was kind of one of those things that i would play and then it was like we've, we've heard the story before about me and gta that i'd have to uh uninstall it and reinstall God. it every time so my mum didn't my mum never cottoned on that so i only ever did like the first hour of each game it's like it's like i feel like a lot of teenager like t- like teenage versions of people around our sort of age have played the first few levels of Duke nukem like it's always been that thing of like as soon as you get up to the dancing lady and are able to make her shake it like you're like yeah, right cool it, had, had a great time uninstall make sure mum doesn't see that um uh, but um yeah it's um and like i think if you have that's the thing because because so many people our age have those memories of playing those games i think that that's where a lot of the interest in these shooters comes from it's the oh i remember those things yeah i had a great time with them and this thing absolutely mimics that to the point of it's actually built in the same engine a source port of the build engine, which is the engine that runs Duke Nukem 3D. So this is something that is from an engine that is like 15, 20 years old, and it's running on a Switch. Like, that is genuinely incredible, and it looks amazing. Like, the art on it is... It's a real, like, tour de force of of nailing a style. It was one of those games that I feel is like Katamari Damacy... Or uh, maybe something like uh, what was that nice one that uh, that I liked quite a lot, Sam? I think it was the is the first person one where you wander around. It's a field, and then the space changes over time. Proteus, no, oh, Proteus. Proteus. Oh, I love Proteus. Right, um, like it, it feels like it feels like that, or Donut Island, or like uh, Donut County, or uh, you know something along those lines, where it's like. Or indeed, yeah, like, uh, you know, uh, 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 everybody's gone to the rapture or something. Like, it feels like one of those games where you should play it because you, like, you should enjoy it on an academic level, if nothing else. Whereas, like, there will be an audience for this and they will love it. But even if not, I think it's one of those things of, like, this is a genre and it's got a revival at the moment. And I think if you're interested in, in the medium, then it's worth going and having a look because it's a really, really good example of what that what that very niche genre can actually achieve these days. Question. 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 Yes. Uh, it, uh, hello, you can send us questions uh, on stayinginpod at gmail.com. Uh, also, you can do it on Twitter, you can do it on Facebook. I'm sure you could probably do it on Instagram. Uh, what, how else could you do it? There aren't really any other ways. Email? Did you say that? Email. One? Yeah, I said email already. Yeah. Uh, All right, uh, we'll say it again then. Email stayinginpod at gmail.com. So we have a question. We have a lovely question from uh, Callum Elkham. Um, hello, Callum. Thank you for your question. Um, And they say, I have two uh, Audible credits. Uh, For those those that have never listened to a podcast before, Audible is an audiobook provider where you could get free trials from whoever. Uh, And they've said, Callum has asked, have you got any recommendations? I'm into good modern day crime fiction, geek culture thrillers like Ready Player One, Damon, or Demon, I guess it's Demon, and uh and i think that's read me uh which i've heard of ready player one i've not heard of demon or read me unfortunately 
Um, I don't. I, I'm not the biggest reader of books, unfortunately. Um, I am going to go. I but I do have a lot. I do listen to a lot of audiobooks. Um, I probably don't listen to many of these things, but I can tell you right now uh, that my big, big, big recommendation, if you like crime fiction specifically, is um, for a single credit you can go and get the entire collection of Sherlock Holmes read by Stephen Fry, and it is one of the best things I've ever spent seven pounds on. Um, like for mm-hmm. like it's it's astonishing and while it isn't modern it doesn't have that sort of grittiness to it that a lot of those that's um, all relative isn't it you you don't need to be put off because the language is like it isn't that old english it it, it never gets too old english it's it, not you know, it's still basically. written yeah it's not written like that it's just like you know it just feels like it feels like a modern novel except for there's just a few um things that just feel slightly off but yeah, really good. Right, and if you like crime, I would recommend that. My recommendation is because uh, they've already read. Um, it's Reamdy, not Read Me. Jesus. Oh, sorry. Um, is it Reamdy? Is a is a Neil Stevenson novel, um, and he is an exceptionally good hard sci-fi author. And I read one of his books called Seven Eves, which okay. uh, is a book that takes place after the moon explodes and then deals with all the ramifications using real world science of what would happen uh, after the moon explodes and it is exceptional it's a huge novel huge 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 book about a thousand pages but um it's really really good um hard sci-fi stuff i mean neil stevenson's just a good bet in any way like snow crash uh, is also meant to be good. Oh, I just bought that. I haven't listened to that yet. Oh, yeah. Well, great. Well, let, let me know what it's like because it's meant to be really good. I'm looking for another because okay. I'm currently reading The Quantum Thief, which is probably one of the most dense but rewarding hard sci-fi novels I've read in a long time. It's a little bit... Hmm. It reminds me a lot like Devs in a way that you know when you hear a conversation going on and you have no idea what the words are, but you're you're <laughs> yet somehow able to pass the meaning and get understanding from it. The Quantum Thief is a lot like that, but spread over 300 pages. So a lot of the time I have no idea what I'm reading, but slowly as I read it, I'm learning the language and learning about the world. And um, it's a very, very good hard sci-fi novel. In terms of like other things that I would personally recommend in terms of like talking about crime and sort of mysteries and merging that into the geek culture world, then I definitely start thinking about things like Neil Gaiman and uh, Neverwhere and especially American Gods and Good Omens are great books that um, Neverwhere especially has a great sort of central mystery around it. And also like Neil Gaiman's a very good sort of geeky author i don't i don't know kind of i don't know kind of like how you'd sum it up but he has a very good style he's sort of very very grounded uh approach to things but also is very very knowledgeable in terms of like fantasy and you know he has a very story background in like comic books and literature and stuff mm. and he's just a great great author so those would be my recommendations uh, I had a couple, I think. Uh, one of, I think we may have talked about both of these, but one of them, definitely sort of a podcast, is mm. Magpie Murders. 
which is for for, for crime fiction is 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 really good. Um, also, um, stretching more into the science fiction area is a book called Dark Matter, uh, written by Blake Crouch. That's also really good. Mm. Um, and then the other book I would recommend, um, written by Craig Clevenger, um, is a book called The Contortionist's Handbook. Um, I read that a long time ago. Um, I've still, I just, I, I remember getting it free with um, a newspaper. They were doing this thing where the newspaper, you would get a book every day. They were giving a different book away, a proper novel. And this was one of the ones I got. And I read it and I was like, this is actually, this is amazing. It's about kind of a, um, a con artist forger. And it's, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, so I'd give that a go as well. I really like Joe Nesbo's Harry Hole series. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Thank you. I know that even though that irritates me saying it, I know it pleases you, Sam. Thank you. Um, that that is basically if you want to kind of jump into a kind of a, a long-standing series of I don't know. It's about a dozen books now. Is it Sam? I don't know. I, I can't remember in terms of the number of. Is it? Yeah. You very kindly lent me the first one, Sam, which I've not read. But basically, it's your classic kind of Scandinavian crime novel, um, and uh, this this slightly. Well, I wouldn't say slightly. This flawed detective, Harry Holle, who is a brilliant detective, but is marred somewhat by lapses into alcoholism and uh, relationships kind of breaking down. But you have these incredible mysteries that he has to solve, essentially, that are often kind of serial killers. Uh, a kind of English equivalent for me would be somebody like Mo Hader, mm-hmm. but very, very dark, um, extremely dark um, serial killer. Uh, mysteries I adore like Birdman was the first one that really put her on the map uh, there's the Magpie Murders which Dan mentioned which is a real wonderful kind of modern day love letter to Agatha Christie but told in a really interesting um, way shifting into the science fiction I really do like uh, David Mitchell's um, Cloud Atlas that's probably one of my favorite ones I recommend which the Wachowskis made into a film which I did enjoy um the extended version I really, really enjoyed, which is basically how um, a single tale is told across different time periods, really. And it, it's almost like um, bookended. It starts at one point and it ends there, but it kind of goes it goes back and forth through time in a really interesting way. Like, um, like imagine as a child when you would kind of take a piece of paper, you'd paint on one half of it and you fold it before it's dried and open it back up and you've got that mirroring. So it mirrors itself as it's going through um, around this this motif of the cloud atlas, and mm. it's a uh, and it appears in different forms, and you see echoes of the same characters appearing through history. Um, a really interesting uh, novel, beautifully written by David Mitchell. Uh, mm. Those would be my uh, recommendations, really. Uh, just to jump in, uh, the Expanse. A great series of novels. Of course, yes. And uh, The Three-Body Problem is probably one of the best trilogy of books that I've ever read. They're incredible. Well, there, there we go. go. Thank you for your question. It's as easy as that. Yeah, easy, isn't it? That was Staying In With Myself, Sam Turner, Peter Willington, Chris Darby and Daniel Frost. As you can hear, I've come out to my garden to record this for you all. Don't worry, all my board games are snuggled up safely inside thank you again to the wonderful people at yellow for rushing out that black six token for me so i could continue enjoying the wonderful 
break the code. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast this time around. We are trying our best to make sure we can continue making shows for you um, during this time. And I really hope that um, you're enjoying the shows too. And if you are, then then let us know. Send us an email, stayinginpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Visit our Facebook page. Uh, you can visit our website too, stayinginpodcast.com. Uh, where there's more details there of our Board Game Geek curation pages, uh, Steam curation pages. It's all there, as we all just try our best to make do. At the moment, we really appreciate uh, you listening and staying safe, following the advice wherever you are in order to do that. Um, But for now, until next time, bye-bye.